Welcome back to the Good Writing Podcast. In today's episode, we talk about Gideon the Ninth. It's a fantasy story with an irreverent point of view character. Specifically, we're going to talk about some craft elements. How can you write an ironic voice, ironic point of view character, and still make sure that your reader cares authentically, unironically, about the story? We hope you enjoy the episode. A podcast recording it's, night. It's podcast recording time. It, we're going to do this every time, and it's always going to be like this weird moment where we're trying to get hype, right? Like, it's always going to be just like a. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Just go Super Saiyan on it, and, and that's how we know that we're off to the races. Uh, yeah. Ben, how's reading and writing? Uh, reading and writing are fine. Less writing, because as I said, the uh, cold and any excuse to not be productive, I will take as a uh, as a lazy person. Um, I will do that. I've started to get some rejections back from the story that I've been sending out, but what? I continue to send it off. Like, yeah, That's extremely so. fast. Oh yeah, there. I I had I I got a I got a very weird rejection. Like that. Do tell. I, up. I, I got a rejection that it was like the personal note rejection, and, that was nice. and um, like yeah, those are always nice. I, I'm always happy to see that when that comes through because they're taking the time and it shows care. But but what this person wrote, it was a very brief personal note, but it felt like it was supposed to be personal. Said, and maybe you can help me out with this and make some sense of it. So they they said essentially, like, we see a lot of ghost stories, so it has to be really special for us to publish one. I don't think I submitted a ghost story. I don't I think don't the... think it... so either. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, cool. Like, because I'm just like... And part of me is wondering, because it's a horror magazine, are there, like, definitional genre aspects of a ghost story that were present in my thing and I wasn't aware that I was, like, putting those in there. They just were in there, like, because I think that's possible mm-hmm. to someone who knows horror really well to interpret it that way, maybe, but... Yeah, I, yeah. That, that could make a lot of sense. I mean, maybe this is... If that note was meant for you... Yeah, that's the other question. If it was, though... Maybe, you know, there was, like, some unexplained supernatural phenomena, and maybe this that's just a reader bias, that they assume yeah. that any unexplained supernatural phenomena is ghost. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought that was strange, because it was the com... It, it was the weird thing where I got the moment where you're like, I don't know if that was meant for me, because it's just like, did, what, are you secretly sending out form rejections that you try to make look like individual reject like rejections, Honestly, maybe? like that's very clever if they are. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. I, for work, we use an application called Text Expander. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's seems like it's just a like personal email answering their question but it's actually just a really frequently asked question and i just yeah. like do the comma insert word mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, it like mm-hmm. explains the whole th- so that would be cool and very clever of them if they have a they semi-personalized have form rejection yeah yeah maybe i don't know i just thought huh. that was well weird. Do, do you yeah. think it wasn't meant for you I have no idea. I could see it being meant for me. Like, it, well, it's because they had the name of my story in it. Like, they, they weren't like, we've, we've rejected your story, the 900 <laughs> ghosts of Garland, because we, we don't want ghosts, no ghosts. Um, it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't write that, sir or ma'am. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, 
that's weird. Uh, honestly, I think the thing about submitting that's the weirdest is you just have to get used to, like, not, like, you have to be really good at taking feedback that is useful for you and ignoring feedback that, like, you, it's a, it's really a skill to develop, like, how to tell when feedback is useful for you or when feedback has the potential to be useful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know. that seems like not useful feedback for Ben. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just a strange moment of feedback or or non feedback. I, I just yeah. <laughs> That's a weird one. That's a weird one. I don't think that has happened to me. Okay. Um, I did once get a form acceptance. Mm. Like they didn't say that they. They just said, we are publishing this. And I was like, do you like it? Like, what do you like about it? Like, what? We have considered this for publication. We are the publication syndicate. We will be publishing your story now. (laughs) I was like, I mean, that is nice, but... It's just like a couple nice sentences would have done me equally the equal just, amount of joy. <laughs> like, well, it's just like don't don't aren't you excited to put it in your magazine? Do you hate your own magazine? I don't know. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a strange one for me. It was a strange one for me. Weird. Um. Well, congrats yeah. on keep keeping putting it out there, Ben. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's going well. As far as writing goes, I've uh fiddled around in some open word documents and that's about it um as far as actually writing something how about you as the proud owner of one fiddly do word document to another i respect (laughs) that you're in there and you're just like writing like half of a scene and there's like someone who you're like maybe this is a character but then they just kind of turn into scenery and it's like well i don't know (laughs) yeah i've I've done a bit of that yeah i have not uh done almost any writing since the last time we recorded and i'm deeply unhappy about it i have applied um i have taken a pin upon my fingertips and applied pressure to a page but just like kaput came out like i was like i'm ready i'm in the zone i got my copy i'm ready and then just i it didn't happen i had a cold my brain yeah it made a fart noise like yeah (laughs) i had a cold my brain was not in the zone in there absolutely yeah you got to read anything you like uh yes and i'm gonna take that as a segue into what we're talking about this week so Mm -hmm. in last week's episode which i just listened back to um i mentioned the book gideon the ninth um and in last week's episode which was your episode on world building Mm -hmm. i mentioned it in context of having a um like I think a fantasy trope is that that there's a point of view character who's really naive to the fantasy world. And so like other people have to explain the fantasy world to the point of, to the naive point of view character and Mm -hmm. the naive point of view character is really a stand in for the audience. It's an excuse that other characters can explain the world that the fan, that the fantasy Mm -hmm. character is already in. Um, So we see this in like, it is, it is most probably the most popular fantasy trope, like top of my mind for examples for this, um, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, Harry, mm-hmm. even though he's of the fantasy world, is is really naive to it, and everything has mm-hmm. to be explained to him. Mm-hmm. And they he keeps finding new stuff that needs to be explained to him, like very deep into this seven book series. Yeah, um, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. all of those. It's a portal fantasy. The kids yeah. go into the fantasy world, and they need the fantasies explained to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a 
like obvious solution. It works, um, mm. but it is also really cliche now. And mm-hmm. even I, as a pretty light perusal of in this peruser in this genre, like think that the naive fantasy point of view character is, is cliche. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other? Do you have any other like naive fantasy point of view oh. character examples? I mean, Frodo is in there as well like you know j- just those big genre namers are definitely gonna fall into that like he's there um god if you read lev grossman's the magicians which is like if harry potter went to grad school um <laughs> it is that it's i wanted it to be good and it, i hated it but yeah <laughs> did you did you read it no but no, i love okay. that description <laughs> yeah like it's like what if harry potter went to grad school and was as annoying as a grad student is and it's like well there it is it's on the page man you did it but yeah yeah, yeah. so last week i mentioned this book gideon the ninth um as an example of like an alternative to naive fantasy point of view character um gideon mm-hmm. our point of view character in gideon the ninth is um not just naive to the necromancers but it's about necromancers in space Mm. um gideon she's not just like naive to the necromancy but she's fucking bored of it like she is not interested she Mm. repeatedly calls it gross she's really irreverent about it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm. and it was super fun super engaging so (laughs) i've been rereading gideon the ninth um and i've got some new context to it um and i just realized you know like this is a great freaking book and we should do a whole episode on it Beautiful. Love it. Also, good, big props to the reread. Always a great choice to make. So yeah. very happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gideon the Ninth came out in 2019. Um, it was written by a New Zealand writer. So there's a combo breaker for you. Uh, Tamsin mm-hmm. Muir. Um, it was Tamsin Muir's debut novel, and it was published by Tor. Um, mm. Damn. Tor's an awesome publisher of sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, first book, getting out on tour also, good for them. That that rocks. Yeah, really happy for her. And yeah. this book deserves it. It is really phenomenal. Um, so how I stumbled upon Gideon the Ninth last year, probably around this time now that I think about it, just mm-hmm. early 2021, I, pandemic isolation had just melted my brain. I had no patience for literary novels mm-hmm. and, you know, novels about, I just didn't have patience for um, un unrewarding puzzles or for learning about cheating on your spouse. Um, mm-hmm. That just wasn't what I was interested in at the time. Um, so the two genres of literary fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> like, yeah. So I looked up a list on um, an online publication called Autostraddle. Um, any queer girl and they them listeners may be familiar with autostraddle it's a cool online publication that i definitely recommend i'll link it in the show notes um autostraddle occasionally does just like media recommendations for lesbians and Mm. queer people um and so i went through a list of autostraddle recommendations of like genre fiction and i had a really delightful few months with this um Mm. i think often I think advice to writers who are trying to become literary writers is often read diversely, read widely, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that literary writers like actually read outside of the literary genre well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I realized after having read these that I just like had 
even though I thought I had read widely, like I had no experience with these genres at all. Um, it's a whole other world. Yeah. Like I, I read three books in a row where I like was like, this was so fun and innovative. And then I look at the Goodreads and they're like, it's cliche. The plot is boring. Like it's, it's extremely predictable. <laughs> like and, and it's just because I don't know that genre, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But it was delightful for me because I was discovering really fun genre tropes. If anyone is looking for just like totally in the genre recommendations. Um, I read a uh, YA fantasy. It's called Her Royal Highness. It's by Rachel Hawkins. Apparently, it is very... The plot is cliche, apparently, but I had a delightful fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... Um, yeah, I was just like, oh my god, this is so innovative. Like, she found excuses for, like, the two, like, love interests to be, like, forced by situations to spend time with each other, even though they initially didn't get a lot. It was, like, anyone who has ever read any any romance book but we'll tell you like that is just what happens in romance books but i was delighted <laughs> um, and then i read a fantasy romance called of fire and stars it's by audrey colthorst um and i was just like oh my god it's so like the the magic rules are so innovative and it's like elemental but it's not exactly avatar and then it's just okay everyone on goodreads is like bitch you are so out of date like have you ever read fantasy and then i read a psychological thriller it's called they never learn and it's by lane fargo um and like this one even more guiltily than the others it was like oh no the point of view character who has concerning opinions becomes a serial killer? Like, <laughs> Emily. <laughs> That's what this psychological thriller genre is. <laughs> that is what it is. Like, <laughs> um, So I just read a lot of genre fiction, and those three reads were really delightful for me because the tropes were totally new to me. Um, mm-hmm. And dear literary writers and attempting to be, become literary writers, like, go read some actual genre books. Like, find one that seems, uh, has, like, something that, that piques your interest. For me, it was lesbian lesbian protagonists. And just, like, actually read mm-hmm. some genre books. Because in addition to these plot elements are really fucking fun, and that's why they are so common, um, like, the writing moves. And it, like, studying these on a line level was effective for me. Like, how do they move the story along so effectively? How do they keep you engrossed in just plot so effectively mm-hmm. um without doing a lot of additional song and dance witticisms um not that these aren't sometimes witty mm-hmm. books but that is a craft element that i don't think you can get from just traditional literary books yeah yeah so so what are some of those things that you think are like kind of tying these together to keep to like <sighs> on that craft level of like what is dragging the reader through the plot like well what are they what are they hooking I yeah guess. yeah um i think one thing that really stood out to me is characters' relationships changing. Okay. Um, at the beginning, they have a certain impression of each other, and that impression of each other like dramatically changes throughout the course of different scenes in ways that are easy to track. And mm-hmm. um, I think I just hadn't thought enough about change in relationships, as really that is what propels most good stories like Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. is how characters interact with each other and how they view each other changing okay and is that just to 
clarify for myself, I guess. Is, is that in terms of, like, like a heel-face turn, or is that more in terms of just literal, like, momentum between, like, how two characters relate to another just actually shifts? It doesn't necessarily mean, like, the changing of sides, or does it? I, I don't know. Like, um, yeah. no, no, it doesn't have to be, like, a 180. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The enemies to lovers might be a bad okay. example in that case. But just, like, uh, first impressions second impressions third impressions and then like a yeah. real growth um i think uh i think we as literary writers really work to develop and beef up characters but we don't necessarily let them change enough okay yeah yeah and i think that that is what i am excited about in a plot when reading okay yeah i, I mean it's inherently going to create that momentum like you're talking about like if there is just like that that kind of very visible marketed shift in between like the state change is immediately recognizable by the reader in that scenario so of course that's going to keep your attention if you if it already had your attention it'll do great work to keep it yeah that makes sense yeah 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 and then also on a line level um these are efficient um Mm -hmm. and there aren't um when there are poetic moments or like additional observations, um, you really slow down and appreciate each one mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. you're not, there's not a ton of those. So you yeah. like when they are used, they're used sparingly and you really appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah. Th- uh, so I have a question about that too, I guess. Like, and also I'm sorry if I'm like distracting from the point that you're trying to get to is this all. I'm not mad. Like, if you try to, <laughs> okay. Uh, um, like just on that level, something that I'm thinking about with these books and in terms of like readability and being snappy, do you think that economy in the prose is almost, is like an on purpose thing? Like, or or is, do you think it is a result of like the writer only having certain moments where they can be poetic? Like, Mm. or or, or are they, is there, is there an advantage to, you know, you know, pulling back from the poetry essentially? Hmm. Um... Well, I think the bell jar would tell you no. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, Masterpieces don't, I don't count. <laughs> I don't know. It's taste. Yeah. 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 No, and, and I'm just wondering, like, because, like, on a technique level, I, mm-hmm. I think that that can be, like, an implemented thing. Like, an understanding that in order to keep your reader engaged, like, pulling back on your language or, or on your desire to, like, muddle in a moment like and instead just having the moment exist it's flat you know we explain it and then we keep going to in order to do something like uh, that there might be an advantage to that sort of thing like you know allowing yourself that i remember pointing out when i taught like creative writing 301 Mm -hmm. um one like common this student is doing too much attempting to do too much poeticism is when Mm -hmm. they would have conflicting metaphors about the same thing Mm-hmm, so, like, mm-hmm. they'd have one metaphor to describe the father sitting down at dinner unhappily, and then they'd have a second one in the same mm-hmm. paragraph or on the same page, and it's like, mm. I think maybe one metaphor per moment, buddy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And either expanding it or allowing the, or, or <clears throat> if you can't expand it, understanding that you need to pick something that can be made wider. Like, yeah, I, I guess. like, yeah. if if it's, yeah, like, if, you're, if you want to do multiple moments of, um, slowing down to really appreciate the poetry of this moment like maybe have them themed um (laughs) you know uh yeah maybe stick them in the same theme have them build upon one each other rather than just start afresh with a totally new idea yeah yeah cool 
Cool. I, I'm sorry. I, I just thought that was an, it, that's interesting stuff to bring up, and I, I think telling people to read more, like, and not just the literary genre work. Like, you know, we can, you know, literary writers can tell each other to go read Ursula K. Le Guin all day long, but like, for fuck's sake, the woman was a poet. Like, she just was. Like, the, and that there is importance to be gained from reading these novels that are also newer um, as a as a part of this. I, I think that's something worth mentioning. But please keep going. With yeah, and it was just really really eye-opening me to me to discover like oh i thought i knew some of the tropes and like i mm. like didn't like i had no idea and they felt fresh to me so yeah. it, it, got, it kind of goes back into our advice from our submitting to lit mags episode right like if you are interested in writing in a certain genre read enough of that genre that you know the tropes so that you don't do them accidentally right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i can't i could not write a psychological thriller because i'm sure everything i would come up with would be super cliche and i wouldn't even realize it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just trying to like uh, just using the writing as the entry point to the space isn't the right plan yeah yeah read yeah. know what people who are going to read your writing are going to compare it to um mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if yeah, i smart. today tried to publish a psychological thriller my god apparently everything i think is fresh is super <sighs> overdone <laughs> yeah god i don't even know how you do that though in this day and age when when there's like the psychological thriller specifically on that example, like, that's been around for, you know, 50, 60 years at this point. How do we bring originality to that? Like, that's a right. that's a complex task. Yeah. 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 Well, here's, yeah. Uh, in a different genre, um, some originality brought to a genre. Yes. So, yes. Gideon the Ninth, Necromancers in Space, um, Lesbian Necromancers in Space. That The first word of that, lesbian part, was why I picked it up and then I... I was I, I really got into it. I got real into this, Ben. Nice, um, nice. So I sent you a few random samplings to get you an idea of our point of view character, Gideon's voice. Um, yeah. What was your first impression? Um, I, I felt that this was a very youthful writer. The, that's what I felt. I, I, the voice really maligned, reminded me of kind of like online discourse of, of a certain era. Like hmm. I, I, this person, like I, I think... If I had to guess how old this person, I would say they were a little bit older than us, like maybe in their early 30s, like, like you know, 33 to 34, rather than, you know, as I approach 30. But, yeah, <laughs> they, um, this is, it, like, I, I would say they were, they're a little bit older than me, but, and they kind the voice reminds me kind of of that, like, kind of semi-snarky, like, tumblr when tumblr was good um kind of vibe to it like that that's kind of the sense that i get it it feels like it comes out of that a little bit like yeah mm-hmm. that that was definitely my first impression um it's definitely very funny like i think that's definitely like on purpose right there out in the front they're doing jokes and bits and it's it's working like i think it's good and, and then um it, i i think they have I didn't get a huge sense of their play in the fantasy or science fiction space. Uh, I'm not sure of that just because those weren't the examples that you sent us, except for the one little kind of battle scene at the end that each twitch of the sword was a masterpiece of technique. Um, that, that, that kind of starts to play towards the kind of language and scenes we see in this sort of work, but I, I can't really say I, I can see too far into that from what I've gotten yet. Yeah, It's probably revealing of my taste that none of the samples that i sent you actually involves the necromancers creating giant skeletons that do battle like that's probably more of my bias than anything um funny that's not the hook then that's not the hook too if like if that's not what brought you in like yeah for other readers it would be though yeah for other readers it would be and it's there and it's very good like i totally Mm -hmm. respect those pieces um i just want to read 
I think I'll read the beginning of chapter one and then the first description of um, the what's it called deuteragonist what what is it called when you're the second protagonist Ooh, I don't know I've never heard that term before Ooh, I'm gonna like google this I have not spelled this nope (laughs) match any documents Uh, d-u-o-t-o-r-a-g-o-m-o-u-s I got nervous I was (laughs) (laughs) there's an M in there in your mind yeah <laughs> yeah, deuteragonist. Uh, yeah, the second person in importance to the protagonist in a drama, the deuteragonist. Yeah, the deuteragonist. Um, yeah. Did I say that? Deuteragonist. Yeah, yeah. The deuteragonist. Um, uh, Haro, 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 Frick, Haro, Haro. I think it's Haro. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm gonna read um, the first page. Um, the first paragraph of the first page first. <clears throat> My time. In the myriadic year of our Lord, the 10,000th year of the King Undying, the kindly Prince of Death, Gideon Nav packed her sword, her shoes, and her dirty magazines, and she escaped from the House of the Ninth. Uh, that is the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this does a lot to set up world and tone simultaneously um world and tone simultaneously um so there is you know a thousandth year of the king undying this like emperor who's become immortal or basically immortal yeah um classic sick shit yeah classic folk and wicked shit and there is like something (laughs) called the house of the ninth which implies houses one through eight as well um Mm -hmm. and then there's gideon nav who has dirty magazines right Um, contrast yeah so like gideon's a real outlier here yeah um and that tone is like from the beginning from the very first paragraph Mm -hmm. we can expect not only kind of the tone of this world like we know enough about like how necromancer type fantasy novels Mm -hmm. generally go um Mm -hmm. and and then we have this combat this like huge outlier of gideon in her in in the weird tone that she brings to the story um so expectations are set like from the very beginning like Mm -hmm. it is but they're also shaken yeah they're set yeah. and shaken yeah like yeah. that's cool yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um and that's really gideon's consistent throughout so for example i'm gonna skip to the fight scene um that i sent you uh this is mm-hmm. for any gideon the not gideon the ninth dweebs out there um this is when gideon is um dueling with Nibarius, the cavalier from the i think was it the third house um so she's yeah Nibarius, the cavalier from the third house, Gideon's dueling with him. She's describing, like, how he is, like, extremely precise as a duelist, right? Um, and uh, each twitch of the sword was a masterpiece of technique. He fought like clockwork, inevitable, bloodless, perfect with absolute economy of movement. Um, and then later, she couldn't believe she was being held at bay by someone who had eaten every Cavalier manual and chewed dutifully 25 times. Right? So even yeah. when she is into it, like, she mm-hmm. loves fighting and dueling. Like, this yeah. is something that she is very good at. Okay. Even when she's into it, she's, like, still consistent, this irreverent um, yeah. point of view character. Yeah, she's doing quips. She, it, it, It's the, like... It, it feels in that way like, like it is like kind of the, you know, the, the reader themselves being transported into this is, is the reader is like the 
audience member and their that kind of like fourth wall breaking character reacts as you react sort of thing like yeah 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 like providing god i feel like kids these days are never gonna get the um uh you know like when a superhero movie would come like the hunger games and then they do Mm -hmm. they do like a parody movie oh yeah yeah the starving games you know yeah yeah exactly the commentary as you're going genre (laughs) 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 those are clutch um (laughs) those are the best movies you can buy at the gas station (laughs) 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 oh yeah i mean we really don't need them anymore right because we just have twitter to comment on everything as we're going or other social media you know we can immediately comment to a large audience um yeah, Funny or yeah. Die has already made the sketch to mm-hmm. launch co- in the you know and coincide with the release of the trailer. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too true. Um, yeah, and Gideon's voice is consistent throughout this entire entire very long novel. Mm-hmm. Um, even when she, like, when you hear about the details of how necromancy works, it's because other people around her are talking about it and are enthused mm-hmm. about it. Gideon doesn't give a shit. Like, it's mm-hmm. never <laughs> in. The, yeah. It's always like other people actually talking. It's like mm-hmm. Gideon only notices as much of it as actually directly impacts her or only cares okay. as much about it. Um, so in another section that I sent you, uh, page 49 of the ebook that I screenshotted to you, mm-hmm. um, this bit that I've highlighted is um, this is how Gideon interprets some really impressive necromancy that Harrow has done. Mm-hmm. So Harrow's mm-hmm. parents have been dead for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. and she reanimated their corpses illegally and had Mm. them when she was like 11 and has had them walk around pretending to be in a vow vow of silence, um, for this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's pretty dope shit. And I feel like, you know, Ben, maybe you would know more about this, but I feel like other people, other, like more people more in this genre would be like very into yeah that's the sick shit that's the sick shit yeah that's as ben says the sick shit um but gideon just describes it as like an increasingly hard to believe alibi like so (laughs) the the um this is in third person but it's very much limited to gideon's point of view Mm um Mm -hmm. uh Every year, Harrow added to her parents' penitent vows of silence, of fasting, of daily contemplation, of seclusion, so blandly and barefacedly that it seemed inevitable that someone would eventually say, hang on a minute, this sounds like a load of hot garbage, and she'd be found out. (laughs) Um, Gideon, yeah, just a load of hot garbage, and like, she says ass, like, she just speaks in a fun informal way that mm-hmm. you're not wrong to compare to like de- the good days of tumblr or yeah. generally the good days of like being clever and not that mean but a little bit mean online yeah just general snarkiness yeah like yeah exactly like the voice is there and it's prominent and uh, especially when you have something like that like that i think really is that kind of audience stand-in moment because that's almost the the book calling out its own potential plot contrivances. It's like, <laughs> this wouldn't... It, it, it's saying, you know, like, oh, you know, this really shouldn't work. And then the very next second is, you know, she... Oh, and she'd be found out. But it's like, but she never was. She just never was. Like, don't worry about it. You know you'd think, but no. Shut, the, shut up, nerds. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> if the characters acknowledge, well, it's crazy that that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. The audience will feel validated. 
Yeah. We'll feel validated was... and we'll be able to move on. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't overuse that sort of thing, but, like, you re- you can use it to, especially with a voice like this. Like, especially yeah. in someone who's av- already established as kind of sardonic and, and, like, you know, in opposition to the text somewhat. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, the big, like, question for me, as I've been um, rereading Gideon the Ninth, has been, how do you make an irreverent voice work for an entire novel. Mm-hmm. Like, if and, the voice is so ironic, is so opposed to what is happening in the novel, like, mm-hmm. what structurally needs to happen in order for an irreverent voice to carry you through the entire novel, rather than making you, like, feel like, okay, bitch, at some point, stop bitching. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, I feel like, or do you have an answer that you want to share? Or I want to hear yours first. You, okay. Like, I feel like it leads back to what you were saying earlier about these things being about changing and moving relationships, is that it has to be that the the character can be as sardonic as they want to be if there's still, like, stuff that they care about, right? Like, if they still have wants and goals within the world, they aren't just nihilistic, they're critical of the world, but they aren't, you know, they aren't trying to remove themselves from it, like, whole cloth, yeah. Oh, Ben... You've ruined my whole. <laughs> <laughs> You've spoiled my whole. <laughs> See, well, this, um, I'm sorry. It was teacher brain coming in. I saw the lesson planning at work here. <laughs> you saw the lesson planning on the whiteboard and everything. Um, yeah, I think that's that's basically it. Wrap up the episode. For, um, <laughs> that's really, I think, it. Yeah. Um, the uh, so I've been comparing. I've been rereading this and also rereading um, Fiebre Tropical by Juli mm. Delgado Lopera, which I mm. intend to talk to you about on another episode. So, yeah. dear reader, you've got at least a week or two warning if you would like to read the book ahead of time. Fiebre okay. Tropical, like Tropical Storm, Tropical Fever, yeah. um, by Juli Delgado Lopera, J-U-L-I, Delgado Lopera. Um, Fiebre Tropical, really good. Look forward to the spin. Yeah, so, so hang on tight for that. So, But that's another example of, like, irreverent point of view character. How do you make an irreverent point of view character? Like, stay true to the irreverence, but also actually get you through a plot that doesn't feel ironic. That, like, gets, mm. they get into the story, right? Um, and I think the key three ingredients are just, like, even if the irreverence stays consistent, like, how this point of view character interacts with the world has to change in order for them to actually get through a story. Even if they continue to mouth off during the story, they have to actually want to go through the story at some damn point um mm-hmm. so Gideon the ninth famously starts off Gideon is I think the first ingredient is that the point of view character the irreverent voice needs to like want to be in a different story um so mm-hmm. Gideon the ninth famously starts off with Gideon is making her 33rd attempt to escape from the house of the ninth <laughs> um, the 30 <laughs> fucking third Ooh. attempt to escape from the house of the ninth and enlist in like basically the army mm-hmm. the space mm-hmm. army um and so Gideon, that's the story that Gideon wants to be in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Gideon has a want design, designed that is not going to be relevant for the rest of the story. Um, that just is not going to happen. Um, but Gideon does have a specific want, right? And then um, she gets dragged into some bullshit that she doesn't actually care about under mostly false pretenses that never like actually come to fruition for her. So mm-hmm. she gets told... Um, the necromancers from the, all the all the nine the different houses they get invited to like go um, potentially become a lictor, which is like super impressive necromancer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going to be invited to uh, 
that a big reunion event where they're gonna see if they can learn how to become a lictor um and it would be like very dishonorable if harrow the necromancer heir of her house didn't come Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so harrow has to go and also harrow needs like a bodyguard it's called a cavalier um and so harrow says to gideon like if you come and pretend to be my cavalier like i'll free you you can enlist in the ninth in the in the you can enlist in the cohort army thing and Mm -hmm. you'll get everything that you say that you want um and also by the way gideon is in basically an indentured servant to this house like basically is is a slave to this house okay okay um yeah to like these mean freaking necromancers so okay uh yeah gideon is basically given no alternative she gets taken off on this whole cooked up like invitation complicated journey thing um Mm -hmm. that she has initially no interest in and then gets invested as her relationship with the deuteragon fuck deuteragonist right the deuteragonist changes um so this last little sample that i want to read on the air is get like the first good description that gideon has of harrow the deuteragonist and i won't spoil the rest of the situation so we're only Mm -hmm. gonna read like gideon's first impression of harrow um Reverend daughter Harrow Hark Nonagesimus had pretty much cornered the market on wearing black and sneering. It mm. compromised 100% of her personality. Gideon marveled that someone could live in the universe only 17 years and yet wear black and sneer with such ancient self-assurance. <laughs> That's the first description of Harrow. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's good. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. It's witty. Yeah. It's joyous, is the other thing. Like, in this darkness, it's joyous. Like, yeah. Like, uh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gideon spends the first three quarters of this book mm-hmm. wishing Harrow dead. Okay. Interesting. But by the middle third on, mm-hmm. Gideon's actions continuously save Harrow's life. Of course. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. But their interactions with each other, their level of trust for each other changes mm-hmm. dramatically. Yeah. Gideon becomes invested in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the key to an irreverent voice, even if you maintain irreverence and humor throughout, you do have to have the irreverent character care about the plot. <laughs> you just do. Yeah. Otherwise, the reader won't. Yeah, of course. Like, especially if they're the point of view character, too, right? If they're telling you, like, you know, if you're seeing the world through their eyes and they're just like, this sucks and is boring, well, then what is the reader going to get besides that? Yeah. <laughs> Why would I read this book if it just sucks yeah. and is boring? <laughs> exactly. If it's just dumb and bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, my lessons this week from, from Gideon the Ninth is yeah. they can keep having saucy one-liners, but they have yeah. to get invested in the story for the reader to be invested but you gotta care exactly so then how would you take that into a specific craft moment potentially like for someone to write towards that huh one moment that was really freaking funny in Gideon mm-hmm. the Ninth when they arrive on the uh, necromancer trial planet mm-hmm. uh, 
their cover story, like the bodyguard cavalier role is like very honorable and you're supposed to have like learned a bunch of history and be like very noble and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so their cover story is that Gideon's in a vow of silence. I mean, it's a good cover story. It worked with Harrow's parents for so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Gideon is like doing all these quips internally for like most of the book. And then she slowly starts talking out loud to the, like the different characters as shit falls apart. Um, and literally some of them just, she'll like, say ass and like just speak really disrespectfully and like not at all like her the reputation of the fancy house of the ninth um and other like this one other character just like squints at her and says you don't talk like i expected you to talk (laughs) (laughs) um i thought i found that very funny so uh, like a little bit of like meta-ness a little self-acknowledgement as you as you're going i think helps um your question though was like craft element how do you get the irreverent character to care about the plot of the story um not i think something really key here the key like turning point is gideon learns information that she spent her whole life assuming um Mm -hmm. she learns the real truth behind it and it really changes her perspective um Mm -hmm. and the level of like trust and loyalty that she feels towards harrow Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not to be a broken drum, but character growth, right? Like character yeah. internal values growth. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it comes back to that so often. If, if you're writing the, the, the traditional style of narrative where it's people, where it's people talking to each other, like, and that's like what your thing is, is like stuff happens and people talk to each other. Like, you, you have to have that character growth there if it's going to move anywhere. Like, it, it comes back to characters so often in, um, it, it, in a lot of, like, forms of writing. Like, absolutely. Like, it's, it's vital. It's vital. Yeah. It's character yeah. growth. And I, when we say character growth, we don't mean lose the voice, right? Like, Gideon continues yeah. to be irreverent and saucy and have great one-liners, like, through to the very end. Um, yeah. But how she thought that she could view the world changes her worldview changes yeah Yeah. absolutely awesome well thank you if you have any i don't want to close this out if you have any other things that you want to share on it like i just i liked it and it was good yeah and uh yeah i've been stuck trying to revise the short story i I, there was a contest Mm -hmm. i wanted to submit to in december and i ended up not getting ready because i know the story just didn't make sense like why was she in this situation and it was because i was trying to do a, i was trying to do something voice driven and i mm-hmm. wanted to do it irreverent voice driven and but i just couldn't get the point of view character invested in the story and so mm-hmm. revisiting this although it's not you know my subject matter is not necromancers yeah. in space um yeah. revisiting this helped me like understand what was blocking me from well, feeling like the story was working nice nice yeah good so uh craft exercise craft exercise Mm -hmm. yeah uh just in general if you feel like stuck on something that you're trying to write and you can't figure out what's wrong with it um make a list of what you're trying to do and think about the books that inspired you that that maybe do some of those same things and um go ask that book you know i made a list of what i was trying to do in my short story it was supposed to be voice driven and irreverent um that made me think of Gideon the Ninth, and then I realized, thanks to Gideon the Ninth, that my irreverent point of view character does have to care about the story, or else the reader won't. 
Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Like it, it, it's the, the things like that will always help you get there. If you're going to use the, um, you know, it, going to your influences is never a bad choice. To return to the library has never done anyone a disservice when trying to write something. Like, mm-hmm. It's never a bad idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. You got anything else, Ben? Beautiful. Um, not really. No. Like I, I think that that works perfectly. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sick. They do some pretty sick yeah. shit. I'm gonna have to check it out for giant skeleton battles and you keep the part that keeps tantalizing me as you say it also takes place in space and like that's that's the interesting part for me that yeah. I, I'm being drawn to yeah like, yeah it's, like... it's a uh it's a trilogy the space stuff is pretty in the background in the first book the second mm. book the, they're on a spaceship okay um and I don't think the third book is out yet okay okay well, uh, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna probably find its way into the rotation. I'll definitely buy an ebook. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. Nice. I love Tor. Also, they, they have published many a great uh, paperback in their time. Do you have a favorite Tor? Uh, I well, it's the, the things that I loved from Tor are no longer owned by Tor. I, I <clears> think <throat> Tor had a thing with Samuel R. Delaney for a while. Mm-hmm. Delaney. And I know you, you're, yeah, he's definitely uh, come up in tour a few times. Um, but just, just, you know, so if we're going with that, I think Nova was either with them or with Del Rey originally. I can't remember which of those classic sci-fi uh, publishers was for was them, but that I, that's a great one by him. I don't think they did Dahlgren. I'm not sure who did Dahlgren, but that that's my favorite Delaney for sure. Um, originally yeah that was bantam yeah but yeah the the just a uh, really great stuff and when i worked in the antique bookstore we had just thousands of tour paperbacks sitting around so it was really fun to just flip through the covers and just see you know a bunch of really badly drawn aliens and half naked women like that is their primary 70s output like <laughs> <laughs> damn tour's been around for a minute <laughs> no you gotta love it but yeah so, if we move on from that, do you have anything Wait, that you would recommend? Mm-hmm. Can we detour on Yeah. what's the goofiest thing that happened to you when you worked at the used bookstore? No, sorry. It, it was more than that. Yeah. It was it a was used like bookstore. Collect- like, that's fine. Yeah, it was, a, it was an eBay site because uh, there wasn't even a storefront. <laughs> um, it, it was a, a rich man that um, ran this, uh, this uh, place called, um, I won't say the name, actually. I won't say the name because I'm going to make fun of him um, but it, it was a it, it was an ant- antiquarian book dealer uh that specialized in rare science fiction and fantasy novels uh which would sound awesome if he was not the biggest reactionary i had ever met in my entire life but how many this... philosophical discussions did you get into with the boss oh, i tried to have close to zero but sometimes he would just come in shouting about china like literally <laughs> would just like come into the offices yelling about china like he thought and it's you know it, it was one of those things that just really shows you the contradictions in that thought process because he was simultaneously so assured that america could win a fight against china could win a war against china but also was simultaneously deeply terrified of them invading us like uh, of you know that and if they can get shock troops to our shores it's over, buddy. That's not the that's not the start of things. That's where it stops. Is when they're do, doing land troops to like start taking over cities. They're winning if that's happening. 
but he was so sure we could win, but was so terrified of that happening. He um, said some really, really offensive things about trans people that I won't repeat on air, and was just an all-around bad man, but yeah. <sighs> and yet he's a sci-fi fantasy collector's item dealer? Well, that here's the thing, like, he was a rich man, so here's... Here's his backstory. Is he was a doctor. Now, he was an anesthesiologist. And what the where he actually made most of his most of his money was as a business owner for a business that found and referred lawyers for doctors facing malpractice suits. Oof. Which to me, and this is a leap, I understand this is a leap, so this is all allegedly I think someone died on the operating table, and it was his fault. I Oof. think that uh, I think that the reason he got into this business is because he got sued for malpractice. He, he lives in Florida, though. Oh yeah, he lives in Florida. Yeah. Oh Ben, I'm gonna show you how to oh, look yeah. this up. We can actually confirm this Ooh, off the air. Okay, I'm gonna ask interesting. You for his name. Okay, I, 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 okay, that that'll be interesting to either confirm or deny this. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, we're gonna look this yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, so I, it, even if that's untrue, and I hope it is, honestly, I don't want him to have killed anyone, but, uh, for their sake, um, but yeah, he, he, you know, the thing about collectors at that level is that they don't read what they collect. It's about mm. owning it. It's not about interacting with it. Like, this man had not read a book in years, as far as I could tell. I once asked him what he read, and he said, oh, nothing really. Like, and he said this to me in a warehouse filled with books, all of which he owned. Like, uh, and the other thing is that mostly what he collected was uh, vintage Italian pornography. So uh, there's that too. Um, Yeah. Does this, is this man, is the handmaiden about him? (laughs) Oh, this man. Um, that's fucked up. I feel like classic sci-fi fantasy is sometimes deservedly, sometimes maligned with Mm -hmm. that kind of yeah uh, offensive and um self feedback loop kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A detour. Mm -hmm. So when we were teaching in Florida, here's a story about how. Since I trained as a journalist, I'm a freaking creep. Like you can look any, like you can look up mm-hmm. public records, Ben. Uh, we're, okay. I'm about to show you about this doctor guy. Okay. Um, okay. So, I had a student when we were teaching in Florida. I have this student who, at the beginning of the semester, he pulls me aside and he just wants to give me a heads up. He is probably going to have to miss some class. He's going through some court date stuff. And I tell him, that's totally fine. Keep up with the coursework. Not a big deal here. And then he goes MIA. Mm-hmm. He like missed several deadlines. And I don't recall what it was that made me be like, I'm going to look him up in the court system. Mm-hmm. But I looked him up in the court system. And the reason he didn't respond was he was in jail. Um, Oof. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And it was he tossed a dude off of a boat. So... yes okay yeah go on please yeah (sighs) and then i was like all of a sudden florida will let you read the whole case like florida's like and you can download the pdf here like of the police statement Mm. and everything um Mm -hmm. this is part of why people think like florida man is a thing it's a little Mm. bit 
there are weirder people in Florida than elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, having now mm-hmm. lived there, like, there are weirder people in Florida. Confirm it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, but it is also, in part, like, Florida just has better sunshine laws. So, like, the yeah. news can get access to more details that are interesting than yeah. you can in other states. It's not that interesting, weird things don't happen don't in other states. there. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so the cops, like, affidavit said that, like, um, the cops got a call from this, like, angry rich man's wife on her on their yacht and um the cops went to the seaside and a dripping wet rich man was like i saw like a (laughs) first of all your your student awesome i love it (laughs) throw a rich guy in the water fuck him (laughs) and the dripping wet wet rich man says to the cop um that, like, I saw this group of teenage boys who were, like, playing, who were, like, on a boat that they'd obviously borrowed from one of their parents, mm-hmm. um, and they were obviously drunk, and the rich man, like, passed them once, and then he, like, on his other way back, he noticed that one of the one of the boys was, like, in the water, and instead of helping him get out of the water, all the drunk boys were, like, making fun of him, and mm-hmm. anyway, so the rich man was, like, boys you're you're gonna drown your friend like you actually need to, yeah. to like stop being a dick yeah. here yeah. um mm-hmm. and so the rich man like got his yacht was too big and so he got on like a schooner boat off of his yacht mm-hmm. and his wife recorded the whole thing and <laughs> on her phone <laughs> and the rich man like uh, went on his little schooner boat whatever it's called <laughs> to the to the boys his dad's boat yeah. where the unsupervised boys and the rich man like like i guess pulled the the near drowning kid out of the water and then my student jumped from the from the dad's boat onto the little, rich man's little yacht, little little mm-hmm. baby boat, and he mm-hmm. like was like, "You want to fucking go, bro?" And then the rich man was like, <laughs> "I guess being a parental condescending, I don't know." The rich man might have been a dick about it, but he was like, "Right, you shouldn't drown your friends. Yeah, um, you shouldn't drown your friend. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't drown your enemies. Uh, yeah." <laughs> and yeah, so my so so yeah, he uh, he 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 fisticuffed. Uh, with the rich man and the rich man got in the water. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. And, and then your student went to jail over that, which fucking sucks. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. man. I am. I, I don't I don't really feel bad for anyone nor do I feel good for anyone in this scenario. <laughs> like uh, I feel felt very guilty for googling this i was like i wanted to know but i don't think i needed to know this level of detail (laughs) man i don't know like florida you gave me too much well did you reach did you find a way to reach out to him again at that point or were you just like oh this kid's done for the semester is what this means so so all that had happened a while ago and then he had like been like Mm. it was like a parole situation or something okay so he was was, like very briefly in jail um Or prison or whatever it was. Um, And he was going to get it all commuted off of his sentence. And he's turned over a new leaf. And he wrote a personal essay about how he believes everybody should get a second chance in my class. Um, (laughs) Did he end up passing? Yeah, but I don't fail people. Like, <laughs> okay, no, I, 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 well, partially I asked because it'd be very funny if the answer was no. He did a horrible job and he did not. Pass, he wrote but... the personal essay. Did I have <laughs> some like advice about it? Yeah, but he wrote the personal essay and he got that. He got all the assignments. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I just I wanted to pass the kiddos. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, I also found out about his dad's divorce. Like, it was like oh, his, like, bankruptcy was on. It was like, Florida, are you just Oof. giving me tangentially related? Snooping <laughs> <laughs> like, information? Like, I didn't ask for this. Like, There's an algorithm on the police databases. They're like, oh, you're interested in this. Maybe you'd like to know about his father's divorce. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> too much <laughs> would you like to see his grandparents immigration documents <laughs> like, <laughs> i think he was a junior like he was like the okay. second you know it was okay. like the same name kind of thing um, oh damn okay man yeah. i feel like that if someone is a junior i feel like you got a rough kind of weird life there if they're like i'm naming you after me mm. you know the yeah. nickname chip 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 yeah you know the nickname chip you know what that means yeah. what it's Chip off the old block. It's when you're oh a junior god. or a second. Oh my god. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh jeez. Yeah. Oh, Dead serious. Man, that's rough yeah. to be a literally a cliche as your name. God. <laughs> so, what's one thing you recommend, Ben, that isn't writing or reading? <laughs> <laughs> I recommend that story you just told. <laughs> that was great. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I recommend spending some quality time with your loved ones because I got to do that during the holidays and whatever that means to you. And I mean this sincerely. Like getting to see friends that I'm close with, getting to see my parents. Like, I if you have people in your life that you're close to and i i really hope you do audience like whoever's listening to this like i assume, i'm sure you do have someone who cares about you and you care about getting to spend time with that person is very important so that's that's my recommendation <laughs> that's very sweet that's mm-hmm. very sweet i recommend antibiotics uh <laughs> and modern medicine great work mm-hmm. great work mm-hmm. science science side Dear audience, thank you for listening to this episode of The Good Writing Podcast. That's the one. I, I was, a brief note, I said, I was talking to Fran today, and she said to me, shouldn't it be The Well Writing Podcast? And I laughed at that for about two minutes. <laughs> um. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. Thank you for... Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh, please. If if we earned a five star review on iTunes, please do send us a five star review on iTunes. If we did not earn a five star review on iTunes, please keep walking. Send us um, a five star review on Amazon uh, Music. Uh, if we didn't earn it on iTunes, is that um, a place oh, you can leave reviews yeah. on Spotify now? Yeah, so do it there too. I know you yeah, can that's... because I left our only five star review on Spotify. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have any suggestions for the show, especially, um, Mm -hmm. we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email. If you send us an email with an audio message, we'll consider airing it. Um, We are at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. If you just want to say, hey, keep it up, kiddo, Mm -hmm. uh, you can tweet us at goodwritingpod. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.